to the Mind Your Hormones podcast. My name's Corinne, and I'm a board-certified holistic nutritionist who went from no period from mismanaged PCOS to a regular one. Now, I'm obsessed with helping you get hormonally balanced and emotionally aligned. This podcast is all about education, empowerment, real talk, and simple strategies you could start today to find inner peace and overall well-being. I am so excited to be here with you to chat about all things health, hormones, and mindset. Are you ready? Let's get it. What's up? Welcome back to Mind Your Hormones. I am so excited for you to hear today's episode. This was something that I just loved talking about. If you are a new mom, not even a new mom, even if you have a baby within the first year or so of their life or you're pregnant and you are just like wanting to really hear from someone who is going to normalize the conversations around responding to your baby and sleeping with them and responding to them and not listening to the narrative of like, oh, your baby is never going to sleep if you don't sleep train or, you know, like they have to learn independence and uh, you can't nurse your baby to sleep. Are they, they're not sleeping through the night still? Like what's going on? Like all of these narratives that I for sure have heard. Um, I really wanted to bring an expert on the podcast to talk to us about this type of you know, parenting, because this is personally how I parent. So on today's show, we have Taylor Kulik, who, if you are unfamiliar with her, she has such an amazing Instagram. Like you have to follow her. I absolutely love her content, but she's actually an occupational therapist and she's a holistic sleep and parenting educator. And she really developed a passion for helping new moms overcome their sleep related fears, which is so real and helping them get back to trusting their intuition, which, you know, we're all about on this podcast because really, especially as a mom, you have such a strong intuition. And a lot of times we don't listen to the things that we know and we feel are best for our children because we are hearing this outside noise from society, from our family members, from doctors or whatever it is. And we want to silence that, not silence that, but we want to do our own research and really make our intuition the loudest thing that we are listening to. So she really helps with that. She provides radical re-education about how babies and children should actually sleep, what to really expect from that. And she offers a holistic approach and responsive sleep support to parents who really just don't want to sleep train. Um, And I know maybe you specifically are someone who doesn't want to sleep train, or maybe you have and you want to shift away from it, or maybe you're not sure and you just want to learn more about it. We really talk about actually how it's very safe to co-sleep in bed share, the benefits for baby, why babies really need to be responded to and what that actually looks like, like what is responsive parenting. Um, We talk about what this could look like if you um, don't work from home and you have to leave your child with caregivers. We talk about napping and nap schedules. Do we have to have a nap schedule? What does it look like if we want to shift away from co-sleeping and into the crib? Like how can we support doing that? Um, What kind of conversations can we have with our family members who are maybe saying things to us that are not supportive, like, oh my gosh, like you can't be nursing to sleep. Is she still doing, you know, the, all these types of things you talk about nursing to sleep, like all the things. So you're really, really going to enjoy this conversation. I cannot wait for you to hear it. So let's dive right in. 
Okay, Taylor, I'm so excited to have you on the Mind Your Hormones podcast. I know everyone listening is going to be obsessed with you, your content, all everything you have to offer. Ever, ever since I found your Instagram, I was like, oh my God, I have to have her on the podcast because you just share such amazing information. And it's just so refreshing, especially as a new mom to hear like, oh, okay, like this isn't crazy for me to be doing this and nursing through the night and co-sleeping, like all the things. So um, before we dive into everything, can you just introduce yourself to the listener and like, let us know how you actually got into this. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Taylor Kulik. Um, so I am an occupational therapist. That is my background. And when I had my first child in 2017, um, I just saw this lack of support for moms in the postpartum period. Mm. And so I kind of started with just wanting to shift my practice to postpartum support. Um, and over time, that kind of sh shifted and specified even more down to sleep because I saw that really what so many of the parents that I was interacting with were struggling with was sleep. And at the time I was really struggling with sleep with my baby. I, you know, I had read the, all of the like sleep training blogs and I was Googling late at night. How do I get my baby to sleep in their, in her crib? <laughs> um, and I was trying to do all of the things I did, like little bits of sleep training here and there, tried to follow the schedules and it was just, nothing was working for my baby. And I thought there's either something wrong with my child or there's something wrong with me. Like I'm mm. a bad mom. Um, I had a lot of anxiety and depression that I think was exacerbated by the pressure to sleep train and the pressure to yeah get my baby falling asleep on her own in her crib and not nurse her to sleep and mm. all of that. And um, so eventually after trying some sleep training and trying all of the things and just really being miserable for the first six months or so of her life, oh. um, my husband actually, so I would wake up in the middle, she would wake up in the middle of the night. She was like in a pack and play at the foot of our bed mm -hmm. and I would bring her to bed, nurse her to sleep. And then I would try to put her back in the pack and play. Mm -hmm. And she reached a point where it wasn't happening. She was mm -hmm. not going back in her, in her pack and play. And my husband noticed that she was sleeping right next to me in bed, just fine. Yep. And he wasn't getting sleep either. Like we're all awake all night. And he just said, Taylor, you need to just, just leave her in bed, just leave right. her in bed with us. She's sleeping. And I'm, mm. I'm a healthcare professional. So I was like, absolutely not. Like I've been brainwashed my entire life, basically yes. that oh, it's so neglectful and dangerous and irresponsible to sleep in the bed with your baby. It's so so absolutely not. Yeah. Um, eventually though I did. So I did just bring her in because it was really our only option at yeah. that point. How old was she at that point? She was around six months when we started. Okay. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, we all got sleep. She yeah. wasn't like <laughs> sleeping through the night, but she was yeah. waking a couple times. I was mm -hmm. nursing her right back to sleep. We were like, I wasn't having to get up and like, oh, it's so much easier yeah. when, you, when don't you don't have, have to get, get up. up. Yeah. yeah. Like I can't get up and walk around and then go right back to sleep. Like it no. takes me an hour. It so, sounds so ridiculous. Yeah. Like, Oh, like you could just get up and then go. I'm like, but no, it's so yeah. much easier when you're just laying there and they're awake. Cause at least you're laying, you're like still kind of sleeping. Like, yeah, it's so much better. Right. So we started doing that. And that's kind of when, um, my focus shifted into, teaching parents about learning myself and then teaching parents about how babies are meant to sleep. Because I, mm. I started looking into safe bed sharing and I found the research of Professor James McKenna and Dr. Helen Ball and all of these wonderful people who have been out here for a lot longer than I have researching the mother baby dyad and how they uh, breast sleep together. Mm. And here I am thinking nobody bed shares and it's so dangerous and there's no information about it. And there is. And so I started looking into that. I started learning about holistic sleep and how to support families families, um, 
to improve their baby's sleep as, you know, developmentally appropriate to help families learn what are realistic expectations, what is normal for baby sleep, because so much of what we're told about how babies should be sleeping is just simply not realistic. Um, and that's kind of when, that's kind of what, what shifted my focus to sleep and just wanting to support families who don't want to sleep train, but Mm -hmm. still want to sleep and, um, who sleep training stuff just doesn't feel right to them. Oh, I love this so much. And I, we're going to dive into all that. I had a very, like when I, my daughter's six months now, she's like six months in a week. And I remember we started bed sharing at four weeks old, but I remember those first four weeks, all I wanted to do was have her in bed with me. Like it was, I was so anxious having her even just in the bassinet next to me. I was like, I don't like, I just felt so, it was such an intuitive feeling for me of just like, no, I want her close, but I didn't because I was like, oh, it's not safe. People say you're not supposed to do that. You never have them yeah. in the bed. Like all these things that were going on. And I finally, I was just like, no, I'm, I'm just, I need to have her next to me. Like I just have to have right. her next to me and to regulate myself too. It was just like so helpful for me. And obviously she was sleeping better, but um, okay. So let's back it up. What can we expect? Like baby sleep in general, like what can we expect from when they're infants? Maybe like how that progresses, like what is normal thing to expect for babies? Because there's always a question, oh, is your baby sleeping through the night yet? Is your baby sleeping? But once I hit like three months, oh, they're sleeping through the night. I'm like, no, (laughs) but that's fine. Like it's normal. She's a, is she a good sleeper? Um, so like, what can we actually expect from babies sleeping? Um, and then everyone like intertwine that with like the science behind, like bed sharing and like how it's like actually very normal to like sleep with the mother, especially when you're breastfeeding. Yeah. So in terms of what can we expect from babies in the first year of life or so, um, it's it varies tremendously from baby to baby because every baby is so different. Yeah. But generally speaking, you know, we're told as a as a culture, as a society, we're told that babies, like we we want babies to consolidate their sleep early on. We mm-hmm. want them to sleep longer stretches early on. We want them to be independent early on. You know, we're told that nursing to sleep is a is a bad habit or oh. a sleep crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, we're basically told any amount of parental involvement is a bad thing. It's a negative thing. But the reality is that we we can expect babies to wake throughout the night. That's Mm -hmm. normal. It's protective, especially, well, all babies really, um, but breastfed babies, you know, breast milk is digested in the system very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. It is also very important for most mothers to breastfeed at night because that is going to, especially in those early months, because that is going to dictate their supply. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is very normal for babies to nurse frequently throughout the night. Again, it's protective. It helps their 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 brain. So backing up a little bit, babies sleep in, newborns especially sleep in lighter stages of sleep than adults mm. do, mm. shorter and lighter stages of sleep. And the reason for this, one of the reasons for this is that that's when the most brain development is happening. So babies aren't right. meant to sleep in these super deep stages of sleep for these very long stretches. And so mm-hmm. it's not a problem that your baby is waking every couple of hours. That's very normal. Mm. Um now, some babies don't wake as much as others, and mm-hmm. that might be normal too. But just right. generally speaking, night wakes are normal. Feeding throughout the night for at least the first year of life, oftentimes longer, is totally normal. Oh, babies, so can I just like pause right there for yeah. one second? Because I know there's like women listening that, because I know for me, because I get this question all the time, oh, she's still waking up in, in the middle of the night? Like you're still nursing her? And shouldn't she be full? Like she's, she's 
a good weight. Like she's a good height. Like she's eating solids now that she's six months. Like, and it's constantly coming at me. I have to just keep reminding myself like, okay, this is normal that she's waking up. It's normal that she's waking up. Like, so if you're listening to this and you're thinking there's something wrong or that you're doing something wrong because you're nursing in the middle of the night still, or even not, sometimes she doesn't even really eat. She's like wants to latch for a little bit Mm -hmm. and like fall back asleep. Like it's fine. Like I just want everyone to really like understand that like it's not even just like it's fine it's normal that that's happening they're a baby like they're little I'm like do you sleep throughout the entire night like do you ever wake up still and you're an adult like it's so crazy yeah well and the other thing is that nursing is not just for nutrition yes babies often need nutrition at night um in that in the first year of life but like you mentioned sometimes babies latch and they don't even really nurse um mm-hmm. it's at night when you're with your baby when you're responding to your baby when they're latching when they're nursing they're also bonding with you yes. and they're building brain connections that oh, they don't so build great. when they're by themselves oh, so yeah. there's so there's so much to this it's it's really incredible when you really look into it mm-hmm. um but the other thing you know is that babies are not meant to be independent there's yeah. This hyper focus in our culture on babies and children being independent at early ages. And what most parents don't understand, and what I think would be just so, it's so reassuring to parents when they finally do understand it or somebody tells them this, is that we don't teach our babies to be independent. We don't, that's not our job. Our job is Mm. not to teach our babies independence by pushing them away, by Mm -hmm. pushing them towards independence. That's not how they gain intrinsic independence. In order to gain intrinsic independence, babies and children first have to feel connected. They have to feel safe and they have to know their caregiver. Their caregiver is responsive and will be there for them if they need them. Mm. And then they can rest in that and they can go forth and be their own person. But that doesn't happen when they're infants. That happens later on. And it takes years and years of um, responsive caregiving, of co-regulation. So Mm. there's another piece. We hear this thing about we have to teach our babies to self-soothe. We have to leave them alone to cry so they learn to self-soothe. Otherwise, they'll never learn. Well, that's just simply not true. So when people are talking about self-soothing in this context, what they're really talking about is the skill of self-regulation. And babies are not capable of self-regulation. Babies are designed to co-regulate. And this takes years of thousands and thousands of um, experiences of co-regulating with a calm, responsive caregiver. And in that co-regulation dynamic, we are actually teaching and modeling to our baby how to self-regulate. That is how they learn. Leaving them alone to cry does not teach them any valuable skills. Mm. Um, it just teaches them that maybe their cries won't be responded to. Um, so like, like, like I was saying before, I feel like, especially in the beginning stages for postpartum, I know everybody obviously is different. Like it really helped regulate me when she was also on me, you know, like right. when I was responding, I could not, I know everyone's Because you are one like, being. Right. Yeah. Can you You are still that? one being. Yeah. So, um, you know, after you have your baby, your baby's been a part of your body for nine months and then you birth your baby. And it's not just like, oh, now you're two separate, totally separate entities. Right. No, yeah. mother and baby, even though physically they could be disconnected, like they're not fully connected, right. they are still so connected. It's called yes. the mother baby dyad for a reason. Mm. Um, mother's mental health and well-being directly impacts baby's mental health and well-being and vice yes. versa. Mm. And we, um, you know, in, even in talking about co-regulation, simplistically what co-regulation regulation is, is we are offering our calm to our baby and letting our baby borrow our calm. And they can co-regulate just by feeling our heartbeat. 
just by being on us and feeling our skin. And then we think about bed sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this, you wanted to talk about like the science behind bed sharing. This is relevant here too, Mm -hmm. because the, the research shows there's amazing research that's been done on breast sleeping is what they call it when uh, breastfeeding mothers sleep with their babies and the physiological interactions that happen at night between a sleeping mom and baby is incredible. Mothers um, help to regulate their baby's temperature, their wow. baby's breathing. They help remind babies to breathe. Mm. They help regulate their stress levels. So all of that is going on when mother and baby are in sensory proximity to each other yes. and baby is feeding off of mom's energy, her body language, her body heat, her breathing, and it's directly impacting baby's physiology. Mother yes. and baby's physiology is directly related. Oh, so they I are, swear. they are one. They are still one. Yeah. I swear, like, I really feel like that is why my daughter is so calm. Like I meditated throughout my entire pregnancy and just like from bed sharing and being calm and like all of that, like, I really feel like that's part, obviously everyone has a baby has their own demeanor, but I really feel like that's such a big part of it. And now like how long really does that like last that mother child dyad? Like, is it the first year? Is it a certain amount of time? Like, is it forever? Like, what is that like? I mean, I don't know that we have exact data on like when Mm -hmm. that those physiological changes end. I think the main point is that babies are vulnerable in the Mm -hmm. first, you know, year of life or so Mm -hmm. they're vulnerable and, um, their, their systems, their, their respiratory systems, their, their temperature regulation, it's all immature. So they really need the mother, ideally the mother Mm -hmm. to, to help them regulate and Mm -hmm. to make up for what is kind of lacking, what they're lacking in maturity of those systems. Mm, And so it's really, it's protective. And they reach a point, you know, probably at, you know, somewhere in the end of the first year or, you know, the year, the year mark, one to two years mark, where they probably don't need mom to, Mm -hmm. for safety reasons. Right. But I would say that even toddlers and children are, I I think even adults, we're impacted by each other. Like if we're sleeping next to our partner, we are impacted. We're all impacted by each other. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we are impacted by feeling our heart, our spouse's heart rate or our, our children. We can calm our children down just by holding them and being calm. So I don't know that that ever completely ends, Mm. um, but just in terms of it's really important, really crucial in the early months because it is for baby safety. Yeah. And I love, and and that's such a huge part because a lot of reasons why some moms don't want a bed share or co-sleep is because they think it's not safe because right. they'll increase SIDS and they'll like, you know, suffocation and all this stuff. And it's so great for you to talk about how like, oh, it's actually protective for them. Obviously if you're doing it in a safe way, right? Like with right. blankets and not being drunk or whatever, like obviously you're doing it in a safe way. Um, now with fathers too, like, do they, can they help? Obviously it's not the same because they didn't grow the child, but, and they're not nursing them, but do they, can they help co-regulate their child as well? Um, fathers can help co-regulate their child. Um, in terms of during sleep though, I don't think we have the data to show that fathers have the same, um, impact on baby's physiology as mothers do. And really the research shows that, um, it's safest for breastfeeding mothers to bed share with their babies until about four months. Mm, Um, Research shows that at about the four month mark, it doesn't seem to make a huge difference in terms of safety as long as the uh, the adult that is bed sharing is responsive and sober. Mm. Um, so I would say at about the four month mark, fathers can pro- can also probably help regulate their baby, but it's mm-hmm. mothers 
have a unique uh, dynamic and relationship yeah. with babies. But of course, fathers, I mean, we can all co-regulate with each other, right? So right. fathers have a huge role in just generally helping their babies to co-regulate like during the mm-hmm. day um, and helping them, you know, calm down and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Um, okay. And then having, so like for people who are thinking right now, like, oh, if they are nursing their baby to sleep at night or, um, you know, they're feeling like, they're being told that they have to sleep train. They have to stick on a schedule. Like, what does that look like when you're doing responsive parenting? Obviously, like we're talking about not crying it out. If they need you, you go get them, that kind of thing. Um, but if you like even actually switch to during the day, I want to talk about that napping, like during the day with a schedule, like, do you, do you just go by like wake windows? Do you go by, if you notice that your child is tired and then you just put them down there, like, how can that look? Because from also like a realistic standpoint of like wanting to have some idea of maybe when your baby's going to nap, obviously like not in the newborn stages, maybe like after four months or whatever that looks like. Um, how do you recommend going about that? Because that could be tricky too with not obviously sleep training where I know with sleep training, part of that is like having like very strict nap times, wait, like that kind of stuff. But Anyway, do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So really, the um, the the gist of responsive parenting and responsive sleep is is being a trying to be attuned to your baby and mm-hmm. following their cues, following their lead. It, really trying to figure out what your baby needs at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, in the in the early months, babies are really not meant for schedules. They are not meant to be on sleep schedules. Um, and I know a lot of like the sleep training programs and blogs and things that you'll find online when you're desperately in the middle of the night <laughs> searching for how to get your baby sleeping, it's going to say, this is the perfect schedule that got my baby sleeping through the night and yeah. yada yada. Yeah. And it's all really <laughs> ridiculous. And the thing is, is that some babies are really low maintenance and like low needs and super chill. And they're going to do fine if you put them on a schedule. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that if you're not like, forcing them into something that's not working for them. Right, yeah. When I kind of start to consider it sleep training is when you are trying to force your baby into a schedule that is clearly not working for them. Mm-hmm. You are not at all attuned to their their cues. And it's also a problem because if you're just trained to kind of watch the clock, it, it takes your focus off of their cues. Right. And you are less attuned. You become less attuned when your eyes are trained on the clock and when so it's true. the next time to go to sleep. So, um, really that means watching cues, learning your baby's cues. Cause that's a huge part of it. When you first have your baby, you don't know what they do when they're tired. You have no. to learn your baby and all babies are different. Mm-hmm. So you have to really learn your baby and it takes time. And so just, um, giving yourself grace and to have that time and to pay attention and knowing that you're not going to get it right every time. You're not going to know exactly what they need when they need it every time, mm-hmm. but just trying to learn them and understand them and then trying to meet their needs. And we're also, as parents, we're going to have times where our baby's really tired, but we're out somewhere and like yes. we can't get them what they need. Like maybe they won't go to sleep and we need to get home. And that's okay. You know, the, mm-hmm. the aim is not perfection. We're not bad parents. If we miss the, the uh, you know, correct sleep or the perfect sleep cue, sleep window, whatever. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's learning your baby's wake window about how long they normally can be awake before they need to start going to sleep, mm-hmm. learning their tired, their early tired cues, um, before they're like overtired Mm -hmm. and, um, 
The same goes with feeding, kind of learning their cues. I don't recommend feeding schedules um, yeah. because that's not I don't know how that works. Yeah, yeah I would I mean, not just, be able to do that. <laughs> and it just doesn't work for a lot of babies because a lot of okay. babies really do need to feed every hour and a half, two hours. It mm-hmm. just really depends on so many factors, including mom's uh, breast milk uh, storage supply. Right, yeah. So it, it's just, yeah. So that's kind of what responsive feeding looks like or sleep lo- looks like. Um, now, some babies will naturally kind of fall into a rhythm where they have kind of a kind of a schedule, like a, a loose mm-hmm. schedule, but yeah. they'll, they'll start to go to sleep at kind of the same times every day. Mm-hmm. And so if that's what your baby is doing and you're kind of following their lead in this schedule, you're being responsive to them, right? right. Um, I find that most babies just don't really do schedules until like six months or so or after, usually mm-hmm. when they're down to like two naps is when more consistently babies will just naturally fall into a schedule, mm-hmm. a loose schedule. It shouldn't be rigid. Right. You still want to pay attention to their cues because they might take a shorter nap than usual. And then they might have to have an earlier nap for their next nap or whatever. Yeah, that's the thing, um, right? Because it's like, she doesn't always yeah. sleep at the uh, same amount of time. And then, so do you uh, not follow like wake windows to a T, but like, are there specific general ideas for wake windows based off of age? Like, oh, like they should be awake like for two hours or three hours or whatever it is. There are, um, and I don't love them. I think they're a good tool to have as a guideline, but Mm -hmm. all babies are different. And I I wouldn't recommend just rigidly like sticking to this, this wake window chart. Because that's not... Yeah. You follow the cues and you'll learn mm-hmm. your baby's wake window and your baby's mm-hmm. wake window is always going to be extending. Like right. you'll, you'll be, you'll get it. You'll be like, Oh, my baby's wa- I learned my baby's wake window. And then two yeah. weeks later, it's like <laughs> Just, double the length. Right. Yeah. Um, and it can also vary at different times of day. It can vary based on how long they slept. So the totally. important thing is to have an idea of what your baby does, but also be paying attention to their, their cues mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I think parents that. can get too into like just really focusing on the wake windows and then they get mm-hmm. really frustrated, confused when their babies don't seem to fit in those averages. And that's really what they are is their averages. Some babies will have shorter wake windows than those averages. And some babies will have longer wake windows Mm -hmm. than those averages. Yeah. I I feel like it's different too, just depending on the day, how long the first nap was. Like it's just kind of always a little bit different um, with her wake window. And then for napping too, like what are your thoughts on not napping in the crib or napping in the crib, napping on the walk, having to take them for a car ride? Like, are you just like, do whatever works to get them to nap? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of depends on a parent's goals and priorities. I think the first thing to just remember, like we've talked about is that, oh, well, I don't know if we've actually, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's really important to remember that it's normal for babies to need your support to get to sleep. It's normal for babies to want to be near you when they, when they sleep. That's Mm -hmm. totally normal. Um, so I say, I mean, I don't have any hard rules about like, you shouldn't sleep with your baby. You shouldn't nap with your baby. You shouldn't wear them. You shouldn't put them in the car. Mm -hmm. I think do what works, do what's working for your baby and your family, Mm -hmm. do what's the least stressful thing for you to do. I do not subscribe to this idea that a lot of sleep trainers subscribe to that baby has to be in the crib the same place every time they nap. I Mm. don't think that's true at all. Mm. Um, But if parents want to start trying to facilitate some crib naps, you know, that's possible too. You can work on like doing one nap in the crib at a time, Mm -hmm. Um, but just being, having low expectations. Like if your baby is four months old, 
well, really, if your baby's any age, but they might not <laughs> want to sleep in the in the crib. They might yeah. not do well sleeping in the crib. So their nap might be cut short. You might have to finish the nap by baby wearing or going for a ride mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and so I don't recommend like trying to do this transition, you know, do all of the naps all of a sudden, try to let them make them sleep in the crib for all naps because that is going to lead to an overtired, stressed out, frustrated baby and parent. All right. If you were listening to this, I'm assuming you're in the camp of you're already a parent, you're maybe newly postpartum, maybe you're currently pregnant, either way, or maybe you're trying to conceive and you're just like trying to get ahead of the ball, which I love. Either way, you need to know about these supplements and this company because it is absolutely game-changing. Obviously, we're talking a lot about sleep in this episode, and if you want some better sleep and you want to actually feel more energized, the types of supplements you take are really going to be supportive, especially during a time of life where your sleep is radically changing. We want to support ourselves in every way, shape, or form, and of course, if you are pregnant or you're prepping for pregnancy, we also want to make sure that we are supporting baby as much as possible if you're you're breastfeeding. We want to support that breast milk supply. And of course, the things that you're doing in your nutrition and your lifestyle are absolutely key. However, so are the supplements you are taking. And unfortunately, a lot of supplements on the market are complete garbage. Like really, they are even the ones that some doctors have prescribed to my clients. I'm like, I cannot believe a medical professional is actually prescribing this to you when there's barely any nutrients in there. They're not in the absorbable forms. They have other ingredients in there that are like, should never be put into a body like dyes and fillers, especially someone who's pregnant. It's absolutely wild. So I personally use recommend and love. And if you hear this little noise, it is my little Madison. So on brand right now for her to be talking to you. But anyway, I recommend Needed. Um, I've been taking this months and months and months before I even got pregnant with Madison or before we even started trying, which we happened to get pregnant on the first try from all the work that I've did to it, despite having PCOS. But anyway, it's a whole other conversation. The point is, if you want to get pregnant within the next like year or less, honestly, if you're currently pregnant, if you're postpartum, whatever it is, you need to know about Needed because this company has the absolute best prenatal on the market. And on top of that, they also have other supplements because you need more than just a prenatal. They have an awesome omega that is plant-based. You know I'm plant-based, so if you are as well, they have an amazing omega. They have choline and iron. They have egg support supplements. They have male sperm support supplements. Like They are just the absolute freaking best. I love the education that they're giving to women on their website. The amount of research that they're doing is absolutely incredible. They, I mean, I promise you, you are going to experience more energy once you start taking their supplements. Every single time one of my clients takes them, even though they were taking what they thought was a high quality brand, they're like, holy shit, I have so much more energy. I'm like, I know you're welcome, right? You tell them, Madison. So if you want to support you and also support baby, go to thisisneeded.com. Use code Corinne, C-O-R-I-N-N-E at checkout for a discount. You will not be disappointed. I promise you that. You are going to be thriving. You don't want to just survive. You want to make sure that you are supporting you and baby. (laughs) Oh, my headphones come out. This is just, we're not changing this. This is just life right now. So go to thisisneeded.com, put in code Corinne at checkout for a discount. Let me know if you have any questions. I cannot wait to see how much you love it. Mm-hmm. And so I recommend like doing it slowly and having low expectations and understanding that it just takes time. It's pr- it's a process. Your mm-hmm. baby has to learn this new environment, learn sleeping without you. 
Some babies are not ever going to nap without you in the crib. Yeah. Some babies will. Um, so it just depends on the baby. Temperament is a huge piece of this. Mm-hmm. Some babies um, are not per- as persistent in getting their needs met and mm-hmm. they'll just kind of, they'll just kind of do whatever. Um, some babies are really persistent and they'll do whatever it takes to get what they need to get near to mom or dad or whatever. Um, so it's a temperamental thing too. I often find baby, a lot of babies are more resistant to napping in the crib before six months. And then at Mm -hmm. six months, you can often do a little bit more work, but yeah, I mean, so there's no hard rules, just doing what works for you and can practice with the crib. If that's something that, that you value and, and want to try to do. Yeah. And what, so I have two different directions that I want to go. The first is like, I'm someone who I work from home. So like I'm, and I run my own business. So I'm very blessed in the fact that I have flexibility. Like I could respond to her whenever, do all these things. How do you recommend, um, a mom who maybe is now going back to work or they have to leave their child with a caregiver, um, for like nap schedule, whatever, like, do you just recommend they talk to the caregiver and have them kind of follow suit of responding? Like what can that look like for someone who isn't home with their baby during the day? Yeah. So I think first of all, you have to um, really interview your caregivers and find somebody that shares your values or at the very least will respect your values and Mm -hmm. care for your baby in the way that you want them to be cared for. And so if responsive sleep is a priority to you, you need to ask them those questions and you need to be specific about it. Um, You know, share how it is that your baby sleeps now and how you would like them to support you. Know Mm -hmm. that that might not be possible if you go to like a big daycare where there's Mm -hmm. a lot of babies and only a couple of providers. You might need to look into a different setting, like an in-home daycare setting or a nanny that comes to your house um, or something like that. So there are options, but know that like your goals might not be possible in every type of setting. And I think that's Mm -hmm. just something to consider. Mm -hmm. Uh, So ask those questions and um, say, you know, if my baby is having is having a hard time sleeping in the crib, what will you do when she's crying? Will mm-hmm. you pick her up? Will you like, I want to hear, I want to hear the caregiver's answer right. um, and, and see how they respond. And then in terms of, you know, getting your baby like used to the caregiver and things like that, um, or with the sleep methods, the sleep mm-hmm. patterns, really it's interesting because babies don't all sleep the same way with every caregiver. Mm -hmm. Different caregivers will find their own ways and patterns of supporting babies with sleep. And it could look totally different from baby to baby. Um, I had a baby who (laughs) is not a baby anymore, but she, my first baby. How many children do you have? I have two. I have two children. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. I had, um, so I, my first child, you know, she wouldn't really nap in the crib much. I had to hold her for most of her naps or we ended up co-sleeping, bed sharing for naps as well. But I worked part-time at the time. So I went into the hospital like per diem, like two or three days a week. So I found an in-home daycare provider who had just a small group of kids and she had a pack and play there. And with her babysitter, her babysitter could just lay her in the crib and she would go to sleep and there was no crying. So like she funny. would just sleep on her own. There was no crying because she would like, go pick hell? her up. If she was <laughs> my <Right>? child. <laughs> right. And then with me though, it had to be nursing to sleep in bed. Um, with my husband, he would rock her to sleep and she would fall asleep. That's I how it is with not, my husband too, but yeah, I cannot rock. Her. I she couldn't has rock to be nursing. Yeah. I couldn't rock my baby to sleep. Mm-hmm. So every caregiver will look different. So, so it, I really encourage, um, 
to just have ta- that time and space. You know, if mm. you can have your caregiver, maybe they, they're coming into your home. Can they come before you go back to work for like tr- short trial periods where they get to spend time with your baby? And that's also just beneficial because then your baby gets to know them and forms an attachment with them before mm-hmm. you leave. Yeah. Um, And so can they kind of practice together, but you're still there in case your baby needs you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, kind of as a transition into you leaving the home and leaving them alone with the baby. But really it takes a lot of practice and time to just learn their pattern together, learn what works for that particular caregiver in supporting the child and in co-regulating together. Yeah. It's so interesting because especially now I think that she's older. Well, it's not older, but she's six months. So she knows that like she comes to me for nursing. Um, but my husband can rock her like right now. He just rocked her for a nap. Will not happen with me. She has to be nursing. Um, and she really doesn't sleep with anybody else. Like with our, either of our parents, like she will not fall asleep unless it's one of us. And at night it has to be me. Um, which, I don't mind. I know it could be like an issue at some point because like if I want to do something or whatever, but, um, I think it's normal too, that like, she's just used to having me at night. I've always been the one to put her to sleep because we exclusively nurse. So it's just always been me. Um, and I'm, like I said, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. But when we are speaking more on transitions and stuff too, say we want to transition from co-sleeping to, the crib. Like what could that look like? Do you have any tips around doing that? I'll give like some context for people who are listening too. So right now my daughter will go to sleep. Like I nurse her to sleep. She's six months. I put her in her crib. Um, cause she goes to sleep on somewhere around seven ish hour. It's a little bit different, but around that time. And then, um, when she wakes up, I have to go in, nurse her, put her back in until I'm ready to go to sleep. And then usually she's waking up again at that point, And then I take her in bed with me. Um, recently though, she's actually been sleeping a little bit longer. So she'll be in the crib until she wakes up again. And then I'll bring her in bed if I'm already in there. Um, but what can that transition kind of look like for people if they are like, okay, like we're maybe commenced our code or we're done with our co-sleeping. We, I want to do exclusively crib or like, how can that look? What are some tips yeah. for that? Yeah. So there are lots of different way, things and ways that this can look like. I actually have, I do like rotating webinars every month. And oh, one of my most popular webinars is the transitioning to a crib or, or bed, floor bed for like toddlers who are transitioning Okay, um, because it's like an hour long webinar. So I can't like condense it D- totally like, yeah. a couple minutes, but, um, so I'll it depends put that on in the show notes too. Yeah. It depends people. on the child. Um, and if, so right now, like you're already, you're, you already have the first step in that mm-hmm. your, your daughter is sleeping in the crib for the first part of the night. So she's mm-hmm. used to the crib. She mm-hmm. feels safe in the crib. Um, and often for parents, what that looks like is just trying to extend that. So, Um, if they're kind of wanting to transition away from bed sharing, then instead of bringing her back into bed with you once you go to sleep, then Mm -hmm. maybe you try to support her back to sleep through nursing or rocking or whatever that looks like and then transferring her back to the crib. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you just keep doing that until you can't anymore. Like it might be just a couple more times in the night and then maybe you're tired and you don't Mm want to have to, to, you know, sit there and support her to sleep. So you're just ready to bring her back into bed. Yeah, that's why I just bring her in bed. I'm like, when I'm awake and she's doing it, I'm like, that's fine. I'll just stop, stop doing what I'm doing. But when I'm sleeping and she wakes up, I'm like, just come right back in bed. And I like, I like miss her when she's not in there. I'm like, I want her back in bed with me. (laughs) Well, and I mean, the reality is that it's not always easy. It's not always like an easy thing to have your baby in the crib for a lot of, especially breastfeeding mothers to get more sleep bed sharing. So it's not this thing like you have to, there, there's a cutoff point and your baby has to be in their crib. 
a lot of times moms are going to be up more at night. They're going to mm-hmm. be physically getting out of bed because your baby isn't going to be waking less in the crib. If they're totally. hungry, especially, they're going to be waking most likely just the same amount. Mm-hmm. It's just that now mom is going to have to get up and go support the baby right. and then go back to bed. And so Which is so just, exhausting. Yeah. And it, so it just doesn't work out. It's not realistic or feasible mm-hmm. for a lot of moms. And so that's mm-hmm. why they just continue to bed share. Yeah. Um, and I think moms, parents have to understand that, that there's, there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs to putting your baby in the crib. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of have to balance that and, and figure out what is the priority to you and is it worth it to make that change? Um, for babies who aren't already really used to the crib, it's a matter of getting them used to the crib, getting them comfortable with the crib, starting off slow with, you know, short stretches of sleep in the crib which they're mm-hmm. likely short stretches. Hopefully they would be long. But when yeah. you're first starting out, you may get a five minute stretch in the crib. Right. <laughs> um, and then they might wake up and you have to decide what to do. Do you want to just bring them back into bed or do you want to try to support them back to sleep and put them in the crib? Mm-hmm. A lot of times you can start off with like just that five minute stretch, bring them back in bed. And then maybe the next night you try again, right? right. And you kind of just build. It's, it takes time. Um, if that doesn't work, some babies are not going to be transferred to the crib. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that doesn't work, there are options such as like a sidecar setup. Mm. You can pull the crib mattress onto the floor and bring like a match, another mattress over and kind of bed share with them on the floor in that way. Mm. But they're getting used to their crib mattress. And then you can okay. kind of work on putting up the, the crib rails. Um, you're still there on the floor next to them, but now they're in their crib and you're just next to them. So there's different ways of like, making it from, instead of going from point A, which is bed sharing to point Z, which is sleeping alone in the crib, you kind of break it up into smaller steps that aren't as uh, harsh, right? They're not as like, mm-hmm. they're, it's more gradual. So it's a little right. maybe gentler on them, right. especially if they're like a highly sensitive child. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the, the kind of floor bed setup, the sidecar setup, those are two really good ways to more slowly transition away from, from bed sharing. I love that. And then what are like any of your safe tips for co uh, sleeping? Like do you have any that you could share, even especially like when they're a little bit older and they could like roll and like move around more? Um, what do you normally recommend for like making sure? Cause, cause that could be like a barrier for some people too, of like, Oh, I'm nervous, um, to like Mm -hmm. sleep with my baby. Like what are some things I could just like check off a list and make sure like I'm doing it safely? Yeah. So, um, I would, First, highly recommend any parent who is bed sharing, really any parent, because so many parents, the majority of parents who are moms who are breastfeeding, who don't plan, they don't have to plan on bed sharing and they still end up bringing their baby into bed and bed sharing. So I think it's never a plan for me. Like I was like, my baby's never come before I had her. She's never yeah. coming in bed. We're never doing this. And then Amelia, yes. like, I want her in bed with me. <laughs> For most of us, especially first-time parents, that's how it goes. That's never yes. our plan. Yeah. Um, like unless we were raised with like a bed sharing mom and like right. we, you know, which that generation that. usually is not. Right. <laughs> so I think it's so important though, even if you're not planning on bed sharing, to educate yourself about how to bed share safely. Yeah. And even have like a safe bed sharing sleep space set up. So Mm. set it up just in case, even if it's not like your bed where you sleep maybe with your, with your partner, Mm -hmm. um, like maybe it's another room or maybe it's like a pallet that you've made on the floor. Like you have an extra mattress or something. Mm -hmm. Um, because what often happens is that mothers are so sleep deprived, especially in those early months and they're falling asleep with their baby, nursing them in the, in the rocking chair because they're so scared to bed share. They're Mm -hmm. so, so scared, but it's far more dangerous to fall asleep with your baby on the couch or in a chair than it is to safely bed share with them. And so having that sleep space set up already 
can help you in those during those nights where you just need you need to lay down with your baby and go to sleep yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, and so most bed a lot of the bed sharing deaths that are categorized as bed sharing or co-sleeping deaths are actually couch sleeping and chair sleeping deaths. Mm. That's really important for for people to know. They're often still categorized as bed sharing. And so mm. there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to like the media and news articles that are very inflammatory and talk about co-sleeping, you know, babies dying co-sleeping. A lot of times couches are involved. They're not actually bed sharing. They're sleeping on couches or sleeping on chairs right. or drugs and alcohol are involved. Are involved. Right. Um, you can find uh, bed share, safe bed sharing information. Like a really brief one is called the safe sleep seven by La Leche mm-hmm. League. Okay, you can just yeah. Google it. Um, and that's like, what is it? Let me see if I can remember yeah. <laughs> pop quiz, all, se- <laughs> all seven. It's um, if your baby is full term, healthy, full term, um, not swaddled, Mm. on a firm mattress on their back. You can bed share with them. Mm -hmm. If parent is sober, not smoking, Mm -hmm. um, there's no strangulation hazards. I'm probably missing some, but if you go look up the safe sleep seven. Yeah. I think it was like, there's no like wires or like gaps. Yeah. Um, like covers, like things. I remember reading that one. I don't know if that's a part of the safe, the safe sleep seven is not comprehensive. I would not like, it's a good quick one, but then I would go look at professor James McKenna has a bunch of resources. He has a website. Um, it's co-sleeping.nd.edu. He also has great books. Um, one of his books is called safe infant sleep. Um, and it's like, it's like the co-sleeping Bible, tons of research, how to do it safely, but he also has that information freely on his website and it goes more into depth about specifics that you really need to consider. So yes, you're correct. We don't want, we don't want cracks like in between the bed and the wall where baby can roll into. We don't want anything that's a suffocation hazard, no blankets, no pillows by baby's face. Mm -hmm. Um, the mattress does need to be fairly firm. So Mm -hmm. we don't really want babies sleeping on water beds. We definitely, we don't want them sleeping on really soft adult mattresses. So you mm-hmm. have to be aware of your mattress. Um, and you know, moms should be tying their, if they have long hair, tying mm-hmm. their hair back because long hair can be a strangulation hazard. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of things to consider with that, but he goes more into depth about some of those logistical things. Um, a big one that I think a lot of parents don't know is swaddling is so pushed on babies. Babies should not sleep in bed with you if they are swaddled. That is yes. a huge safety hazard. Mm, I actually never even swaddled my daughter um, ever. And she was fun. Like she did not want her arms out. No. Like she was like, most babies don't. Yeah. She like wanted to like, she, I forgot what the reflex is called. Samoro reflex. Yes. Yes. Like yeah. I, it was like, I read about this. I was like, I never swaddled her. So I never had to deal with that transition of not swaddling her. So I was like, this is great. <laughs> One less yeah. thing we have to do. Yeah. Um, okay. I love that. Now, what is the, is there like, I'm sure there is, but do you know science behind like, um, what are the negative effects long-term of like not responding to your child's cues, right? Like if you're letting your child cry it out or, um, like you're forcing all these schedules, if you're not listening to their cues, like whatever it is, like, is there long-term research, um, anything like showing like any negative effects of that? Um, yeah, this is a really tricky question that I don't always love answering because (laughs) it's like one of those questions, like I am not the, the kind of person that I would never say, like, if you sleep train, you are causing harm to your baby or your baby will definitely be damaged because the reality is that it's so much more complex than that. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of research, like 
uh, specifically about responsive parenting and like sleep training and the long-term effects, there's not a lot of research. There's not a lot of good quality research. And the Mm. reason is that especially long-term research. And the reason is that one, it's unethical. It would be unethical to randomly assign um, a baby to either be sleep trained or not sleep trained. Mm. Um, And so that's just not how most of the studies work when it comes to sleep training. And I could talk about the problems of sleep training research all day, but I won't get into that. There's a lot (laughs) of problems though. Um, Mm. And it's just not something that's really easy to to study. Another Mm -hmm. thing is that if we're really wanting to know long-term effects, there are so many other confounding variables that we just could never say like this issue is directly related to sleep training, non-responsive sleep training. Right, or not be other responding things. to your baby. Yeah. And like the other thing to consider is that parents who choose non-responsive sleep training likely have very different parenting practices in general mm-hmm. than maybe parents who choose not to do respo- non-responsive sleep training. Mm-hmm. And so that like, it's the whole picture. It's the whole parenting um, like set of parenting strategies that could potentially impact your child. But again, there's really no way to say these long-term outcomes like right. depression, anxiety, you know, whatever are directly linked to back when you were a baby. There's just no mm-hmm. way to do that. Yeah. But with that being said, Um, We do have a large body of evidence, um, developmental evidence, neuroscience evidence to help us understand what is happening in babies' brains and what babies need and how they attach. Um, Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of good evidence that leads us to these really strong theories about what is happening and why responsiveness is important. And so all of this evidence, and this is years and years worth of evidence, all of this evidence really points, um, you know, experts in this area, professionals, researchers to the underlying idea that babies are designed to be responded to and they expect to be responded to and they're vulnerable and Mm -hmm. they have no other way of getting their needs met other than signaling their need and hoping a parent responds to them. And so if their needs aren't met, what happens? Well, one, they're on a like superficial level, their needs aren't met, whether that's they're, they're wet, they have a wet diaper, they're cold, they're in pain. Maybe it's just comfort. Maybe they just need a parent near them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but on a deeper, like relational, um, relational level, what are we teaching our, our babies and children when we don't respond to them? Well, we're teaching them that that we're not going to respond to certain behaviors. Mm. Maybe that they're only worthy of being responded to when they're behaving in certain ideal ways. Um, Maybe that we're not, not all hours of the day are appropriate times where they can expect and rely on a parent to respond to them. Mm. So I would just ask parents, are those big lessons that you want to be teaching your babies Um, and how can that impact them in the future? And I think Mm. this is all very hypothetical. It's all very like kind of philosophical, but But it makes sense. I mean, the way that we interact with our babies and children in the first few years of life shapes their perception of the world around them and of Mm -hmm. relationships and people. And so, you know, we know that babies are meant to be responded to. We would be naive, I think, to think that there are absolutely no unintended negative consequences of responding or of not responding to our babies, of doing something that is the opposite of what we are meant to do. Right. Yeah. I love that. But we don't have all of those like very specific details and we can't, humans are just so complex, right? There's so many variables. But I love that. I love that answer. And like what, so talking about like attachment, what would you say to someone who is hearing from like their parents or the other generation of like, oh, like she's 
too attached to you or like she has to learn to like be without you. She has to learn to go to sleep on her own. She has to learn to, you know, not like whatever, you know, all of that. Like it's, you're pretty much making it like you're doing it wrong. Right. And it's making the mother question what they're actually doing of like, oh, she should be able to nap on her own. She should be able to nap in the crib. Like all these things that, which by the way, I'm hearing. So that's why I'm able to give all these examples. Um, like, but I know someone listening to this, I'm sure is hearing it too. Just especially if they're in this age range of 30 something, our generation of parents probably did things much differently, most likely. Um, what is something that you could recommend of like a way to respond to that or to, and to also stay like in your personal power of like, okay, like this is how I'm doing it. And like, or if you if they want to know some of the signs, like, okay, well actually that's not true. Like, how would you help support someone with that? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is that not all of these conversations warrant uh, an explanation or a response Mm. from you. And so I think it's important to really differentiate and kind of set boundaries. And depending on who it is that you're talking to, what kind of relationship you have with them, Mm. how are they open? Are they open to learning from you or are they just trying to criticize? You know, Mm. there are, there is a time and place to say, this is how we're choosing to parent, but thank you. Or maybe you have to say, maybe it's like they're saying this over and over again. You know, maybe you have to say, this is our choice. We are doing it this way. Please do not bring up this topic again. Um, And if you bring up this topic, like if they continue to disrespect your boundary that you've set, Mm -hmm. then you have to maybe set consequences. If you bring this up again, we will leave or we will ask you to leave. Right. Um, And so, you know, that's hard. That's really Mm -hmm. hard depending on who it is, but sometimes Mm -hmm. that's necessary. But I think a lot of parents think they have to like, they need approval, especially from like their family members or something. They need approval for how they parent. And I think it's helpful to reflect on why they feel like they need approval. I think that's a really understandable desire to like want approval from our parents or our Mm -hmm. siblings or whatever. Um, But maybe reflect on that. And like, is it reasonable? Like, are your parents, is your mom going to approve of the way you parent, no matter how much education you give her? Is she Mm. willing to listen? And if not, you have to kind of accept that and not waste your energy on explaining it because it's just Mm. going to cause more stress for you. Now, if you're talking to somebody who genuinely seems maybe open to learning, um, then you can certainly respond if you feel like you have the energy to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but rem- rem- reminding yourself that it, you're not responding to gain their approval. You're not responding for validation. A lot of times you're not going to get validation for your parenting yes. and that's okay. You have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if this was somebody that like truly just didn't know and they didn't mean anything by it, but this is just truly what they believe. They believe that a baby needs to be sleeping independently, mm-hmm. you know, I would probably just um, say something like, you know, that's actually not true. We our our babies um, learn independence in time from Mm. first being able to depend on us. Mm. And so when when they have this ability to deeply depend on their mom or their dad or whoever, Mm -hmm. then in time when it's developmentally appropriate, they can then be independent. And so that's why we're choosing to parent this way. Mm. You know, something just really brief like that. I love that. 
And that's such a good thing to even say like the first time maybe it comes up. And then if like it's a persistent thing, that's when you could say like, okay, listen, like we're not going to talk about this topic anymore. Um, But I love that because especially when you become a parent, everybody feels like it's their job to just like give you unsolicited advice about what you're doing, which I think is, it's so important for you to do your own research and listen to podcasts like this and follow people who are doing things that actually feel really good to you and read about the stuff that you actually want to do. So you feel so strongly in how you're parenting that like hearing this from other people, yes, it could be very irritating, but it's not going to sway you into feeling like, okay, wait, they're right. I am doing it wrong. So let me do that. Right. Like we have to be so convicted in what we're doing and really trust ourselves, especially like I always say, like as a mom, you have such a strong intuition of what's best for you and your baby that like, we just have to peel back the layers and really listen to that instead of listening to everybody else because, and like do our own research on it. But you really know like what's best. It's just, we have been taught to not trust ourselves and to instead trust like all the societal norms of what we're supposed to be doing. Right. Exactly. Oh, so good. Okay. Can you tell the listener how they can support you, uh, support your business, like where they could find you, what resources you have? Cause like everyone's going to want to learn some more from you. Yes, absolutely. So I am mostly on Instagram. My handle is at Taylor Kulik. Um, I'm taking a little break in December from Instagram, but I'll be back at some point. She has um, such and, amazing content. So just like go binge you. everything. <laughs> thank you. And I have a podcast with a lot of free information. Um, I have, you can go to my website, taylorkulik.com, where you can find my comprehensive sleep e-courses. I also do rotating webinars that I usually announce through my email list or my um, Instagram on specific topics. Um, And I also have a teammate. So I don't do one-to-one support right now, but I do have an amazing teammate. Her name is Jen. um, And she has all of like the same sleep background and education and knowledge that I do. And she provides one-to-one support for families that feel like they need a little bit of, um, you know, more individualized support. So, and you can find all that information on my website. And and your website is Taylor Kulik? TaylorKulik.com. Okay. And what's your podcast? Uh, It's called uh, Reclaiming Parenthood with Taylor Kulik. Okay, perfect. All this will be in the show notes for you. Um, Is there anything like one piece of advice you want to leave with a listener today who is just like feeling more like calm about it after they listen to this, but really just like how they can move forward with, um, you know, trusting themselves, trusting their instincts. Like if they are nursing to sleep, like all these things that we talked about, like any like last piece of advice you want to give somebody. Yeah, I would say, I mean, definitely trust your intuition and try to tune out the the external noise. But also, I think it's helpful to hear, especially if you're a first-time mom or you have like re- just really young children, I think it's helpful to hear from parents who have kind of been through it and are now on the other side with their kids and they didn't have to sleep train. And, um, and that's me, right? Like I have a different perspective now that I have a six-year-old who can sleep independently and Mm. she doesn't wake at night anymore because I thought, you know, when you have a one-year-old or a two-year-old who's waking a lot and really reliant on you, it feels like if I don't do something, this will never end. This will never change. And in reality, what a lot of the, and you can do, there are things you can do. And that's what I cover in my, in my courses and webinars and things like Mm. that. Um, but in reality, a lot of these kiddos just need time and they just, Mm -hmm. nature has to unfold and they need time and space to allow that. And we don't, it's not really our job as parents to like fix our kids, right? Like Mm -hmm. a lot of times they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and we just need to give them time. So, um, you know, my perspective perspective has shifted so much knowing that this is a phase. It is a phase and Mm -hmm. it feels hard and it is hard, but it will pass. 
Mm, I love that. So that's just letting us know that you could co-sleep and your child will eventually sleep on their own um, through the night. Like, so you're talking your six-year-old, she's in her own bed and everything sleeping. Well, that's a longer story. She is. She has been in her own bed. And as of right now, it's a long story. She is actually (laughs) sleeping with my son now and my husband but she can sleep by herself, which is right. my husband actually just enjoys sleeping with her. And he found yeah. that my son so will sleep sweet. longer in the morning when she's there. And so we're trialing Aww. this out for a while. But the point is, is that for the last six months, she was sleeping by herself. <laughs> so she, she does sleep by herself. I love that. So your three-year-old is a, is a boy. You have a yeah. Does yeah. he sleep? He sleeps with your husband? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I love that. So he's so close to me. So, so amazing. Okay. Mm -hmm. I love all of this. Thank you so much. We will put all of this in the show notes. Um, I really appreciate your time and for sharing all your expertise with, um, with us on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. If you loved this episode and learned something valuable, please share it with a friend who you think would also love it or post it on social media and tag me so I could personally say thank you for helping me spread this important message. I am beyond grateful to be here with you. So until next time, stay intentional, stay consistent, and always mind your hormones.